So we've been um, in the Sermon on the Mount for the last couple weeks, really all the fall, I think. And, and that's been in the context of going through all four Gospels in chronological order, which is a kind of a tall task, and it's been really slow, but I've, I've been uh, really surprised how good it is. Um, and really, just when you take time to slowly go through the Word, God always speaks to you. And so today, as we get back into the don't worry, that was empty. Um, as you get, as we get back into the, to the stories and the teaching of Jesus, that's what we're going to do. And we're talking about the faith of the centurion today. But before we start, um, I want to just kind of talk about a little an observation I've had um, over the past probably year or so with this pandemic. Um, I've heard a lot of talk about listening to experts. Listen to the experts. Pay attention to the experts. What do the experts say? And on one hand, this makes a lot of sense. You know, it's wise and good to listen to people who have devoted their entire lives, most, you know, most of the many years to studying a subject and to learning about a subject and learning how to help people with a specific subject. That makes a lot of sense. It's like when you're sick, it's a good idea to go to the doctor and let them help you out and listen to their advice. You know, versus going to WebMD and reading about your symptoms, because when you do that, you're going to have cancer. It's like, oh, do you have fatigue? That's oh, probably cancer. Do you have headaches? Um, tumor. Oh, do you have mood swings? Cancer. And then, so you diagnose yourself. It's totally unhelpful. Even one step away from WebMD would be going to Facebook and describing all your digestion issues and see what happens. Um, but, but it makes sense on one hand to go to experts and learn from them. But, and, and, and we do this in all areas of life, not just with our health. We do that with finances, with financial problems or financial help. We go to financial advisor. When it comes to our car being broken, if you don't know how to fix things, you go to the car doctor. We go to, if you have parent issues or marriage issues, you go to a counselor. It makes sense to go to experts. But, a, but on the other hand, I feel like maybe we have are putting more pressure on the experts to do more for us or to give us more than they can actually deliver. Maybe we're asking too much of the experts in our world for us. For example, right now with this pandemic, I think the consensus around the world is we are asking the experts to give us 100% confidence that we can go about our normal lives without getting sick. That is what we were asking of the experts, to have 100% confidence to live our normal lives without any risk of getting sick. And we all know that's impossible. That's a great idea, but it's a really unrealistic expectation and to ask somebody for that because there's risk living in the world. If you don't die from this, you're going to die from something. There's always a risk whenever you leave the safety of the harbor. And so I think We've asked too much of our experts. And so today what I want to do is point you to the ultimate expert in living. It's Jesus Christ. And when I say that, there's a, there's a part of me that goes, ooh, that's a little cheesy. Ooh, that's a little oversell. But here's the deal. It's not. The, think about it. Jesus Christ, the ultimate expert on living life. Remember, Jesus is the one that created life. 
And then Colossians tells us that he holds life together by the power of his word. This is who we're talking about when we're talking about Jesus. So don't you think Jesus has an idea or the best way to live in this world? That's why I say Jesus is an expert. And I want to say one more thing before we go further with this. This isn't some weird cult stuff where it's like, hey, um, pray about all your concerns and don't go to the doctor. That's not what we're talking about here. But I'm trying to help you flip the, the idea of how we usually go about things. What I'm saying is, what if we saw Jesus as he really is, as the ultimate expert on life, and in response, we lived with great confidence and faith in him? Because we have so much respect for who he is. We have so much um, appreciation and awe because of who he really is. That's what the goal is today. And so I want you to think about this personally. You know, do you see Jesus as an expert on life? Do you believe that he has the best understanding on all aspects of your life? Because this is where the divide happens. Usually we think of church and then real life. And we don't really include Jesus in our real life. But, but I'm asking you a different question. Do you see Jesus as the ultimate expert in life that he's actually knowledgeable and has the best understanding of your body, has the best understanding of finances, has the best understanding of how to be a parent, has the best idea and way to go about marriage, has the best idea how to do your job and all the nuances and details. Do you actually believe Jesus has a clue on that? Do you believe Jesus actually has the best understanding of physics and how the world works? What is your perspective of Jesus? Second question I want you to think about is, when you have problems in life, at what point do you ask Jesus for help? Do you wait like most people? Do you wait till you've run out of options, when, you've, when the experts have nothing left to say to you, to go to Jesus ask for help because he's your last option? That's what most people do. And finally, what would it look like to start seeing Jesus as the ultimate expert in your life and to respond with great faith by going to him first as you pursue the experts and, the, and all the information and options out there available to you. Because we don't do that. We go to him last. But the goal, if, if I could leave here, have you leave here with something, would be to see Jesus as he is. And to respond in faith by including him in everything, by going to him first. And if you want to get real crazy with this idea, don't just go to him with your problems. Go to him with your ideas. Go to him with your projects. Go to him with the things you want to accomplish. Go to him with your dreams first as you pursue all the relevant information about it. That's where we're headed today. So today we're looking at the faith of the centurion. And in my head, this all makes sense. So we're going to try to tie this together. But let, let's jump into it. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, begged him, Lord, my youngest, my young servant lies in bed paralyzed and he's in great pain. Luke, the gospel of Luke adds this. Some Jews came to Jesus 
and, I, and said, if anyone deserves your help, this Roman officer does. He loves the Jewish people. He's treated us well. He even built a synagogue for us. You should help him. So the scene is that this man has a servant. This powerful Roman officer has a servant that is ill and he's in pain. He cares about him. He wants Jesus to heal him. So Matthew tells the story as Jesus, or this man came to Jesus and asked for help. Luke adds that these Jewish uh, respected Jews that like this man came and vouched for him because they are, he had good character and he had good, done good deeds for them. And so I love Jesus's response. He doesn't ask a bunch of follow-up questions. He simply says, I will come and heal your servant. And then this powerful Roman officer says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word and it will be done. I love that. Just say the word and it will be done. And then he goes on to explain. He says, I know this because I'm under authority myself, my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. And I only need to say, go and they go, come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. And so this is a powerful, powerful story. I, will look at it, I want to look at it in detail. Why did this powerful Roman officer come to Jesus, who was a nobody, for help? What led him to come ask Jesus for help? Because you got to remember, the Roman Empire at the time was the most powerful government in the world. And this guy had a little bit of rank in that government. So which meant he had access to the best of the best, the best experts. He had uh, access to information. He had access to whatever he needed. What led him to come to Jesus? The first thing is we see is he pleaded with Jesus. He was desperate. And I'm assuming like many of us, he had run out of options. His resources that he had access to were not helping. So he was desperate to get this man help. So in his desperation, he came to this no-name Jesus for help. And he came to him for help and asked for his help. But the second thing is what gets my attention and, and, and I think is the, the nugget of this message is where he, he, the way he answers Jesus about authority. I think he recognized that Jesus had real power. He recognized that Jesus had real authority, even though Jesus had no official position of authority. Don't miss this. This was a Roman officer. He understood authority. He understood power. He understood that he could just say, give orders to his men, and they had to respond to him or there'd be consequences. He understood power that, you know, even not just words, but you could actually make a hand movement and things would get done. But in all that power that he had, he recognized Jesus has real power. Something is different about Jesus. He's got no position in the Roman government. He's got no position even in his own religion in Judaism. They don't even respect him. Who is this man? But he saw something in Jesus that impressed him. And I think that is so good. He saw true power, and we know what it is. He was getting a glimpse, a tiny little glimpse of who Jesus was. Jesus is God. See, it's easy for us because we have the whole Bible. We have the whole scripture. 
We know in Colossians where Paul writes in Colossians and pulls back the curtain and tells us, hey, you know who Jesus lived 2,000 years ago? Here's who he really was. He is the visible, the visible, the image you can see, the visible image of the invisible God. When you look at the life of Jesus, you actually see the invisible God. We know that because we see Colossians. He says, by his very, or God created the whole world through Jesus. And he holds the cosmos together by the power of his word. We know that because we have the whole testimony. But this Roman soldier didn't have that. All he had was the Jews and then the Roman power structure and his own authority. But something caused him, and it was Jesus. When he looked at Jesus in the flesh and he saw Jesus and he heard his teachings, he got a glimpse of true authority and power. So powerful. And he recognized that. So then I love Jesus' response. He said, when he heard this, he was amazed. He was amazed. Jesus is not amazed that often. He was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, and many of these were Jews, he said, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith or confidence like this in all Israel. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles, non-Jews, will come from all over the world, from east and west, and will sit down at the with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast of the kingdom of heaven. And many Israelites, those of whom the kingdom was prepared, the feast was prepared for, will be thrown out into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I love how the message puts it. Taken aback, Jesus said, I've yet to come across this kind of simple trust in Israel. I love that. It's another way to say faith, simple trust. The very people who are supposed to know all about God and how he works. This man is a vanguard of many outsiders who will soon be coming from all directions, streaming in from the east, pouring in from the west, sitting down at God's kingdom banquet alongside Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then those who grew up in the faith but had no faith will find themselves out in the cold, outsiders to grace, and wondering what happened. And so what was Jesus amazed by? He wasn't amazed by the guy's good deeds. He built the, he built the, the Jews a, a church, essentially, a temple, a synagogue. He wasn't amazed by the good deeds, because that's what the Jews, the, the Jews that liked this Roman officer, they were like, hey, Jesus, this guy's a good dude. He built us a church, and he has great character. You should definitely heal his servant. But he wasn't amazed by that. I mean, those things are important, good deeds and character, absolutely. He was amazed by his faith, his simple trust. I love it. He said he understood authority, understood power so much. He said, Jesus, all you've got to do is just say the word. Give the order. Say the word, and in this, my servant will be healed. He was amazed by his confidence in Jesus' power and authority. Why was he disappointed with the, why was Jesus disappointed with the Jews? Because the Jews were God's chosen people and they didn't recognize him as the Messiah. This outsider who didn't grow up with the stories and the scriptures, he wasn't taught to be on the lookout for Jesus. And he recognized the authority and power of Jesus. But the ones who were taught the ways of God and were told the stories, and he name drops. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the forefathers, 
He said, these outsiders are going to eat a meal in the kingdom of God with your fathers of your religion, but you don't even recognize what you're looking for because they were looking for something that Jesus wasn't delivering. Jesus came as a servant and conquered through love and sacrifice. They were looking for Jesus, the Messiah, to come with a sword and and take out their oppressors. (coughs) And so he was disappointed with them. And then the, the final verse, then Jesus said to the Roman officer, go back home. Because you believed it has happened, it has happened. And the young servant was healed at the same hour. The message says, he looked at the captain and he said, what you believed could happen has happened. I love that. What you believed could happen has happened. There's imagination in that. There's expansive faith in that. What you believe could happen has happened. That's a great description of faith. It's, it's, it's thinking beyond what you see. And Jesus says, I'm rewarding your simple trust. What you thought could happen, what you asked for has happened. I love it. And so we learn about real faith and authority and power from this story. And I think the nugget is that this Roman centurion this officer who had great authority and power recognized true power in Jesus. He saw something really different than human power and authority that used force. He saw this gentle power in Jesus and he knew Jesus could help him. And so before we wrap up here, I want to I address an obvious, what I think is obvious, a question that comes up. Because this is encouraging us to have faith and to come to Jesus with all our problems, and and that's the goal. To see Jesus as he really is, what he's capable of doing, and then to live in response with great confidence and faith. That is the takeaway. But the question I have to ask is, does Jesus always answer our prayers the way we want him to? Does he always do it? Because this leads me to believe if I have enough faith, it will happen. And the problem, if he's not answering my prayer the way I want it, it's me not having enough faith. That could be the problem because that's in scripture. But does he always answer our prayers the way we want? And so my answer is a all capitals no. No. He doesn't always answer our prayers the way we want. Scripture is clear on this. The Apostle Paul, who was a great man of faith, God didn't answer his prayer to take away his pain or whatever his condition was, a thorn in his side. The scripture is clear that God doesn't always answer our prayer. And then even more clear is life experience. If you've lived on this earth for any amount of time, you know that he doesn't always answer our prayers. You've experienced this by going to God with your deepest concerns, and he doesn't answer it the way you want. I want to share a story that um, at the time meant so much to me because this event happened. But when I step back, I look back again, man, I've walked through some crazy situations with people. This story doesn't compare to nothing. I've, I've, I've watched um, people we were praying for with cancer die. God didn't answer the prayer in the way we wanted. He answered the prayer. Um, you know, just recently there's been some stories, um, where two people we knew had, had COVID and then had pneumonia and we were praying for them to be healed. They died. Um, 
ba- people having miscarriages and not being able to have babies. So many, so many bad situations. So much worse than about the one I'm sharing. But I want to share this example because at the time, this wrecked me and caused me to want to doubt God's capacity for healing. And so here's the story is um, a couple of years ago, my son Merrick is nine now, but a couple of years ago, um, I can't remember the exact age. Um, I'll give you the, 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 the picture. Um, he was in the footy, the onesie outfit, you know, the one with the zipper, looks like a little monkey. It's got um, the little footies on it with the grippy, grippy feet. You know what I'm talking about? And so he, Merrick was a climber. And so um, he was always climbing. We'd always have to physically grab him and put him down. Say, hey, man, don't do that. You're going to get hurt. You're going to die. All this stuff. And so one day, I remember the scene. We were in the kitchen. Lindsay's behind the island cooking dinner. Um, kids are everywhere. Merrick is like climbing up on top of this chair. So I keep walking to him, grabbing him. Hey, buddy, come down here. And he's in those, those grippy uh, onesie outfit. And then I look across. He climbs up again. And he falls. And I don't know what happened, but looking back, he must have like smashed his face on a corner of something, hit the ground. And when he came up, his whole face was like this, like just down, like he had Bell's palsy or something. And I remember I was like, oh my God, he just broke his jaw. And so I grab him, I put him in the car and we go to the emergency room. And um, so I'm like praying, I'm letting some people know, pray for Merrick, you know, we don't know what's going on. And we're at the doctor forever. We had to go back multiple times. They did all these tests, spent $5,000. The experts gave us nothing. Um, and, and so what we found out, the best guess was, we think he severed his facial nerve. And the, the bad news about this is you can't do anything about it. The only hope for you is that it regenerates because it's kind of dead. But, but the little kids... They, they're way more resilient than adults and they, they heal so much faster. So your hope is that over the next couple of weeks, it heals and regenerates and, and the movement in the face gets better. But at the time I'm freaking out going, oh my gosh, he's going to be ruined. Like Merrick was a really good looking kid. He was going to be a handsome young man. Uh, and here's the deal. He didn't get it. Look at my face. He didn't get it from me. He got it from Lindsay. She's yeah. And so I was like, it's so dumb, but I was like really worried. I was like, oh my gosh, we've ruined him. And, and so we're praying for him to be healed and, and all this. And, and um, long story short, God did not answer the prayer like we want. I think he answered it like 80% maybe because he still has some like stuff there when he smiles. Um, but I remember being so stressed. I remember being so concerned for him, so worried for him, feeling so helpless. Oh, and the ad on top of this situation, when we were in the hospital, we were like three days in between insurance. And the customer service guy that I talked to was like, oh, yeah, we can't grandfather that condition in. So you're on your own. Then after three days, he called me back. He's like, oh, I'm new. I got it wrong. We can grandfather you in. Uh, but I could, Lord, I was never like, oh. Uh, so, but it was so terrible. And, 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 and there's no great ending. He didn't, he didn't do what we wanted. And so, but, but I was left there to go, man, when, I don't really want to pray for healing because of my experience. And, and so there's a great verse that has helped me out. Uh, when a guy came to Jesus asking for healing and the guy wanted to believe, uh, he said, Jesus like, asked him a question and he goes, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, I know you can do it, God. The Bible says he can do it. The Bible says in Ephesians, this is what makes me mad sometimes when I'm praying for healing, is the Bible says in Ephesians that, that God can do more than we can think 
or imagine. Do you see that? God is able, that's the word, able to do more than we can think or imagine. So we imagine what the prayer would look like, what the answered prayer would look like. He's able to do more than that, than your imagination. And then back up in two verses in Ephesians, he says, you as a believer have access to the same power that God used to raise Christ from the dead. So I'm like, amen, that's some sick prayer. And then you don't see it play out in your circumstance. It leads you to go, well, God, that's actually worse than you were unable because you're able and you don't do it. God, I believe, help my unbelief, because then you got to move into something called faith, simple trust that God understands your situation better than you. And so what I want to leave here with this question is, no, he doesn't always heal, but we're called through scripture, we're called to pray with great faith that he would move on our behalf and on our friend's behalf. Right now, I'm praying for so many different things, like big things. We've got one uh, family, one friend whose um, baby is not born yet. It's got a heart defect. And they're, they're looking to have all these um, surgeries after the baby's born. It's going to be devastating. We're praying that God miraculously heals that baby. We're trying to have faith, knowing that he doesn't always do it. Lord, help my unbelief. But God, I believe. Help my unbelief. And so I think the takeaway is here, when there's opportunity, when there's, when there's room for God to work, let's pray together with faith, with great faith, but have a theology and a perspective to be able to handle it when he doesn't answer it the way we want. Because if you don't have a theology for that, your life and faith will be wrecked and you'll be mad at God. But that, that's, that's kind of a tension we live in. But I love that verse because it, it captures the tension. Lord, I believe but help my unbelief. And, and so I share that story because it, because it, at, at the time it was a big deal to me. Now it's not so much of a big deal, but then, and people have gone through way worse situations. But we've got to have a theology for these moments when we read these great stories of healing because we know he's able. He's the ultimate expert on life. And so what I want to end is a little application here. I think the goal is to see Jesus for who he really is. To see Jesus as God, who he really is, the one who spoke existence and life into existence and holds it all together with his word. And to live in response to that truth with great confidence, simple trust in the details of our lives. And so let's end with those questions. Do you see Jesus as an expert in life? Do you see Jesus as having the best understanding on every possible situation you can face in life. I mean, your work actually gets better when you start including God in the details as you go to work, including him in the details of your parenting, in the details of your marriage, in the details, oh, here, dating. I mean, we're not just leaning on the bachelor for our vision for what relationships look like. We're actually going, Jesus, you made humans. What do you think it should look like? You see what I'm saying there? Um, but do you see Jesus as an expert on life? And when you have problems in life, at, at what point do you ask Jesus for help? This is where you like see the real faith you have. At what point do you start asking Jesus for the help? 
And even if you want to get real crazy with this, when do you ask Jesus to help you in your ideas, your vision, your goals, the things you're excited about, your dreams? When do you include him in that? That is the goal of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. He wants to walk with us. He wants to be with us. And that reminds me that I left out a really important point about the, um, does Jesus always answer our prayers? I, I just say it real quick, is that he doesn't promise to answer all our prayers. He does answer them, but he promises to be present with us. He promises to walk with us through every circumstance that you may face. And his presence is better than an answered prayer. His presence is where we find the peace that goes beyond understanding. His presence is where we find uh, the joy that doesn't depend on good circumstances. His presence is where we experience the love of God that doesn't wait on us and us to be loving. Unconditional love. His presence is what heaven and the kingdom of God is going to be. It says there's no sun or moon because his presence is there. You don't need it. You get the unfiltered glory of God right in your face. It's like a, it's incredible. If earth is like it's been in the month of February with all the clouds and rain, good Lord, take me off of earth. Heaven is when the sun came out yesterday and you're like, woo, this is why we live in Wilmington. Like a solar power calculator. Just give me life. What would it look like to start with Jesus and your problems and your ideas and your dreams? What would it look like to start with the person in the presence of Jesus, asking him for help, going to his word, seeing what he says about the details of life first? Seek the kingdom of God first. I'm not saying you shouldn't, uh, you'd be dumb not to consult the expert, people who devoted their life to understanding things. But what if you went to the ultimate expert first? And then you're able to navigate all the advice you can find. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good to us. God, you are so good to us. God, I, my prayer for myself and for our church is that we would have faith. You would, you would help us to believe and help our unbelief, God. Help us to bring both our confidence in you where we've learned to trust you and those places where we fall short deep in our hearts, where we're scared to trust you with these specific details of our life. God, help our unbelief. Help us to see you as you really are, the source of life. And I pray that as we give up our lives to you and we surrender those areas of our lives to you, you would just blow us away with fruit and with joy and goodness, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>